Welcome, everyone, to March Madness 365. I am your host, Andy Katz. Well, we are on the doorstep of the men's Final Four. Gonzaga, winners of the West. UCLA, a shocker. Winner of the East. Baylor in the South. Houston in the Midwest. So we have a one seed in the West, a one seed in the South, a two seed in the Midwest, and an 11, even though it's a brand name, in the East, even though it is the team that has won the most national championships in UCLA, they've won 11. So for the first time ever, the Final Four on the men's side will have no teams east of the Mississippi. And, you know, look, in a year that has been unprecedented in all our lives, certainly in this sport, it shouldn't come as a shock that we've got a stunner of an NCAA tournament and then ultimately a Final Four. But still, the two best teams all season long have remained Gonzaga and Baylor. And think about this also. WCC, Gonzaga, Pac-12, UCLA, much maligned West Coast, Big 12, Baylor, and the American, Houston. What don't you hear from me? No Big Ten, despite nine teams. No ACC, no SEC, no Big East. Villanova had won the national championship in 2016, 2018. So it is a representative Final Four of conferences that don't get as much love at times. Certainly the West Coast Conference, the Pac-12, and the American. Big 12 gets plenty of love. It certainly signifies that this is a national game and there's great basketball everywhere. So since we last chatted prior to the Sweet 16, a couple things. You know, Gonzaga blitzed through its competition. They're as impressive as any team. I went back and had our stat guru on um, our TBS TNT set. So I had him look at, I wanted to compare these teams. 2021 Gonzaga, 2015 Kentucky, 2005 Illinois, 96 Kentucky, 92 Duke, 90 UNLV. So UNLV, Duke, and Kentucky all won the national championship. Illinois lost the national championship game. Kentucky lost in the semis. They were undefeated to Wisconsin. Of those six teams, Gonzaga has the biggest points per game differential of plus 24. Kentucky in 96 was the only one close at 21.5. That's in the NCAA tournament. So that's getting to the final four. That's how impressive Gonzaga has been in their four wins to get to this point. So just digest that for a second. USC looked great against Oregon, not against the Zags. Michigan really played well against Florida State. And I don't know if I'd say they blew the UCLA game, but they just, they had so many chances and couldn't convert. UCLA, two shockers in the East, taking out Alabama in overtime. Alex Reese with a game-tying three to send it into overtime, and then they won in overtime. And then 51-49 over Michigan. We're going to talk about that with Chad later. Incredible. So Gonzaga, UCLA on that side. The other side, Villanova gave a major scare to Baylor in the Sweet 16. And then Baylor had their second gear. Uh, Arkansas, Oral Roberts was a thriller. Max Asmus with a chance to win it at the buzzer. That would have been a shot heard around the world. Couldn't convert. Then Arkansas loses to Baylor. Loyola against Oregon State was not the game we hoped that we thought. Oregon State was the better team. Shout out to Wayne Tinkle and what he did with that program this year. Houston, just more physical against Syracuse. Then Houston, Oregon State, bit of a rock fight early, and then Houston prevailed. And now we have Baylor, Houston. What a story, by the way, of Kelvin Sampson. We're going to talk to him later this week. Think about this. Final 4-0-2 with Oklahoma. Since then, he has NCAA issues at Oklahoma. You know, Indiana has to go with a show cause to the NBA system with the Bucks, then with the Rockets, takes over a Houston program that was playing at decrepit Hoffines Pavilion, has to beg people to come to the games. Family affair with his son Kellen as an assistant, former player Hollis Price, also by the way, played for him in Oklahoma. Daughter Lauren is 
their external relations, his wife, Karen, very involved. They did a great job in the community with Hurricane Harvey, getting shirts and clothing, all those kinds of things to people that were hit hard by that hurricane a couple of years ago. And they've revitalized the program. And here they are in the final four. Scott Drew, Baylor, took over a program that was as down as one could be. Uh, that's, if people don't remember, absolute tragedy. Former player Patrick Dennehy was murdered by a teammate. And then there were NCAA violations. And then there was a cover-up of the violations. And that ended up being sort of just completely sullying the whole thing. It was a tragedy at so many different levels. He took over a program at the beginning. They weren't allowed any non-conference games, scholarships. I mean, it was a, I mean, the, the penalties were as severe as they could be. And here he is. He's already been to multiple lead eights, gets this program to the final four. Mick Cronin, with a vascular situation in the back of his head, survived that, finishes up at Cincinnati, takes the UCLA program, year two, and look at him. He's got them, you know, a couple of years later, they're in the final four. So it's been quite a run for Mick Cronin over the last few years. And then Mark Few, the greatest really run, you could argue, over the last 20 plus years since 1999. What they've done with this program, wash your mouth out with soap if you ever use the word mid-major. It has zero to do with this program. They travel charter. He's paid handsomely. They get anyone now to play them, even at home, not just at Spokane Arena. Carolina went up there a year ago. They can get anyone. Duke's going to play them in Vegas. Now they're getting the best players in the country. So quite a run. I just want to say before we get to our interviews with Davion Mitchell from Baylor, uh, Dejan Giroux from Houston, that the job that on the men's side, because that's obviously where I've been focusing here, that Dan Gavin and his staff has done to pull this off has been remarkable. This tournament wasn't even going to be, we didn't even know where it was going to be until December. Usually these take months to plan. And you got to deal with all the COVID protocols, testing, everything, getting laundry. I mean, so many different little tiny things that they had to pull off. And look, you know, there were a lot of things, it's all been public, you know, amenities and things that were not equitable for the women should have been. I'm not saying anything that shouldn't be said. They've owned up to it or they need to and continue to do. And there's an independent investigation as well. And we know that that's going to come out in the summer after all the championships. So the entire staff, so what they pulled off is really remarkable to get to this point. So heading to Indy, we want to get to our interviews. I just also want to say that a big thank you here on the pod to everyone in Atlanta who's made it my second home here in the last three weeks, to the entire staff at Turner Sports, welcoming me under that set the family, personally from Ernie Johnson to Charles Barkley to Kenny Smith to producers Tim Kiley and Jeremy Levin to everyone on the production side to everyone on the talent side. Everyone has been so wonderful. I couldn't have asked for a better few weeks. I'm just really blessed for everything that's been going on. So I want to just personally thank everyone for the time that I've spent uh, this month here in Atlanta and looking forward to our partnership here with Bleach Report. So anyway, let's get to our interviews. We are taping this pretty late at night, but uh, we wanted to get this out for you, our loyal listeners. So without further ado, let's continue the podcast. And now joining me here, March Madness, March Madness 365, Davion Mitchell from Baylor. They're going to the final four. Number one seed advancing past Arkansas. He's got a piece of the net in his hat. Davion, you guys have been planning this, preparing for this, and now it's finally here. What was this journey like? Uh, first and foremost, I would just want to give credit to the man above. Uh, we wouldn't be here without him. And give credit to the coaches, man. They worked really hard on the scout, and they prepared us. Like no other. I mean, we knew what they was going to run. I think that was the, the key to the game. Um, we made them do things they weren't comfortable with. It's a good feeling to go to the Final Four. I want to go back a little bit here. 
We know this was an offseason like no other and a lot of hype coming into the year. And then right off the bat, you guys couldn't start the season you wanted. You had to go to Vegas, sort of a makeshift tournament. Coach Drew got COVID. And then you guys got on your roll. Things were going great. And then you guys had your pause. By the way, along the way, you couldn't play Gonzaga because Gonzaga had a positive. Throughout this whole thing, what was that journey like to get to this point with all those different obstacles? Uh, Yeah, it was definitely a journey. I mean, especially... um going from Vegas. I mean, we were supposed to have the hardest schedule in the country, playing all these top teams in the beginning. But I mean, everything happens for a reason. We're just glad it happened then and not during the end of the season, like towards the NCAA tournament where some players would be out or the coaches would be out. We're just blessed to have all our players here and all our coaches here. How long did it take for this team to sort of get back into that rhythm once you guys came back together in late February when you guys were playing a ton of games in a short amount of time? Yeah, it definitely took some time. I mean, we didn't get a lot of practices. I think we got like two practices and we couldn't really go as hard because people had to come off the little COVID protocol. So we couldn't really go as hard. And I mean, we had to go shorter practices, but it was definitely hard to get that rhythm back, especially defensively. I mean, offensively, it kind of came, but defensively was kind of not helping each other out. And But after that week, when we had that those practices. Uh, I think those practices really helped us. We competed at a high level every day. Um, We went at each other. uh, We made each other better. And I think that's key to this um, NCAA tournament run. Every team that gets to a Final Four, it seems, or certainly wins a championship, has that game that you can look back and say, you know what? That's where things flipped a little within the tournament. And this Villanova game for you guys, I mean, they were in control. You guys had to claw and fight back to get into the game and then find that second gear. What changed within that game for you guys to prevail? Uh, definitely defensively. We knew those those guys are a really good offensive team. They don't turn the ball over. So we knew we had to put pressure on the ball handlers and make them turn the ball over. We had to get them out of their comfort zone because Jay Wright is a really good coach. I mean, he put them in positions where they're successful. I mean, but we, we had to make some adjustments. And I think uh, our coaches did a really good job and our players did a really good job locked in, pay attention to the scout and uh, made Villanova life hard. And what happens to your group when a team catches you, takes the lead, that you guys never lose your cool? We all basketball players. We all know that they're going to go on a run. We just got to cut it short. We can't let them have a run for a long time. I mean, we know we're going to go on our run, so we never really bothered when people go on runs just because that's the game of basketball. And at the end of the day, I mean, we're just going to keep playing hard and we're just going to keep believing in one another. All right, so Davian, I just had to turn in my Naismith vote for Defensive Player of the Year earlier today, and I voted for you. Why do you love playing defense? Because I love winning. I mean, I think uh, playing defense wins championships, and I think that's why we have a good chance of being that championship team just because we love to play defense. I mean, it's a lot of guys that helped me out, like Mark Vidal. I mean, he he taught me a lot on defense. Uh, He was one of the finalists, and I'll just give the glory to him, man, because he taught me everything. I mean, I look up to him. He's a senior. Um, He's a guy that plays defense like no other. I mean, he switched his one through five. I just uh, give the credit to my teammates, man. I wouldn't be in this position if we wouldn't win in games. So at the end of the day, so I'm just giving credit to my teammates. What did he teach you the most, though, defensively? Uh, just not playing on my hands, uh, playing on my chest, side of my feet. Like, you, you can't press up on everyone. I mean, a lot of people is just as fast as me. Sometimes you got to give them space. The last two things for you, the four guards. I can't remember, and I've been doing this a long time, where we've seen four guards that are really interchangeable with you and Jared and Maceo and Adam. How have you guys been able to build such a, a, a cohesion together of the four of you? We got this group chat where we are comfortable with each other. We text each other all the time. Um, if we got something we see, I mean, we talk about it as a group. I mean, it's a little group that we call Guard You. And um, it's all the guards. Um, even LJ Carr is in there, and he's learning a lot from us. We teach him a lot of things because um, he's going to be playing this position next year. So at the end of the day, though, we love playing for one another. And um, we know, we believe in one another. 
So I think that's what makes us good. And lastly, I'm sure you haven't had even a chance to think about it, but you got Houston on Saturday. Your thoughts? Houston is a really good team. The same identity. They guard. Um, they can score the ball. They're a really good team. I mean, they wouldn't be in the Final Four if they wasn't really good. Um, they play defense, and uh, it's, it should be a really good game. Congratulations. Uh, we will see you in Indianapolis, or I will. You're, you're not going anywhere. Anyway, um, congratulations. Thank you so much. Andy Katz, that guy will rank his wife's dinners. He'll rank anything. Now it's time for Cats Ranks here in March Madness, March Madness 365. Let's start at number 10. Iowa's Luca Garza, the likely Naismith National Player of the Year. This is the only performance I'm recognizing in a losing effort, but he was not a loser in any stretch of the word because Luca Garza was phenomenal throughout the course of the season, his senior season, and in this second round game against Oregon, uh, he scored 36, a tournament high and nine boards. At number nine, Oregon State. They were 12 seed. They would not have gotten into the NCAA tournament had they not won the Pac-12 tournament. They were picked 12th at the beginning of the year. Ethan Thompson was sensational. Kent Oklahoma State at 26. 15 made free throws, which is the most in the NCAA tournament. He had seven boards. Let's go to number eight. Colorado's McKinley Wright the fourth against Georgetown in the opener. How about this line? 12 points, 13 assists, tournament high, and zero turnovers. Uh, earlier in his career, turnovers were an issue. Not late in his career. What a way to go out as a senior uh, in the last game that he won. Lost, obviously, the next game to Florida State. But great performance by McKinley Wright. Number seven, Syracuse's Buddy Bayheim in a 6-11 matchup against San Diego State. The Orange beat the Aztecs. Bayheim had 37 made threes, which tied for the most in a game in the NCAA tournament. Buddy had quite a run toward the end of the ACC into the NCAA tournament. What a great father-son moment for Jim and Buddy Behan. Number six, let us go to UCLA's Jaime Jaquez Jr. Against Michigan State in the first four, 27 points. Played all 45 minutes in the overtime win over the Spartans. A little foreshadowing of how the Bruins would play in the first two weeks of the tournament. At number five, Gonzaga's Drew Timmy against Oklahoma. He had 30 and 13. Second player with 30 and at least 10 rebounds in a game in this tournament. Later, in the Elite Eight, Drew Timmy would score 23 against USC. Now let's go to number four. Oral Roberts' Max Acemas, who almost had the shot of the tournament, wasn't able to convert in the Oral Roberts-Arkansas game, but earlier in the first round, knocked off Ohio State with 29. I love that game so much. Let's go to number three. Same game, different player. Oral Roberts, Kevin O'Banner, he scored 30, 30 points, 11 rebounds. Also made a huge and one in overtime to go up 69-64. Now we go to number two. These top two came in the Elite Eight on Tuesday night. Gonzaga's Jalen Suggs. What a freshman season he's had. I'll tell you right now, I'd take him number one over Cade Cunningham. We'll see. Jalen Suggs, 18, 10 boards, 8 assists. Against USC. Just a phenomenal passer. Floor game vision. Could have gone as a quarterback to Ohio State uh, or Minnesota. Chose to play Gonzaga. What a dream season he's having. And at number one, Johnny Juzang from UCLA in the Elite Eight victory over Michigan, 51-49. 28 points, 11 of 19. Basically had to shoulder the whole load practically. And he led UCLA from the first four to the final four. First time a team has done it since 2011. The tandem of Johnny Juzang 
Kentucky transfer, Jaime Jaquez Jr. And we had a little Jules Bernard, a little Cody Riley at times. Tiger Campbell, great floor game. But Juzang was phenomenal. Playing on a bum ankle, by the way, in that Elite Eight victory over Michigan, taking down the number one seed. Get that Pac-12 Conference of Champions into the Final Four. So to this point, those are my top 10 individual performances in the 2021 NCAA Tournament. And now joining me here, March Madness, March Madness 365, Dejan Giroux from Houston, the most valuable player in the Midwest region. Dejan, you are going to the final four in the same city, but you are going to the final four. What's the raw emotion feel like? Man, the emotion hasn't even set in yet, honestly. Just to be here and, you know, all our hard work pay off, you know, everything we've been through from, you know, June to, you know, to this point, all the sprints, you know, the hard practices that, you know, Coach Samson have finally panned off and, you know, we've shown the world that we belong here. This has been quite a season, unprecedented for all of us. I mean, in all our lives, how has this team stayed so connected, so together, despite all the obstacles that has been thrown at not just you, but, you know, student athletes across the country? You know, it's just a family culture that they have here. You know, everyone's together. Uh, we're always around each other. Coach Sampson has rituals that, you know, he do. Before COVID, we, you know, go to his house and, you know, eat cookies. But since COVID um, came, we're in the practice gym every night before, you know, a game. And, you know, we still have his wife cookies. They're amazing. But, you know, we watch a film together. And, you know, like I said, the family culture. It's just a big family over here. How would you describe that commitment that each one of you had to make to get to this point so that there weren't major pauses? You guys did a great job throughout the course of the season avoiding that kind of major disruption. You know, just making a sacrifice, you know, what we want to do in the long run. Us as a unit, we did not want to go on pause at all. So, you know, it's a sacrifice to, you know, change the way of living for these couple of months that, you know, the college basketball season is here. And, you know, we just had a bigger picture in mind uh, and we wanted to fulfill our dreams, you know, that, each one of us is growing up, you know, watching March Madness and, you know, we want to be here one day. So, you know, it's a big sacrifice and we did not want to stop playing. You know, we just love this team. So go back to Cleveland State. You got hurt like within the first minute. How painful was that? Man, one to 10, I give it a 12. Uh, I got elbowed right on my hip bone, which caused me to have a hip point. You know, the training staff did a great job of getting me ready for Sunday in one day. They did an amazing job, you know, whether it's treatment, rubbing me down ice pack, hot baths, give me a full commitment. And I can say right now, I don't even feel it at all. Um, I feel like my regular self. Yeah, your game against Rutgers, your line overall, just your ability to affect the game, you know, in so many different ways. And in talking to Coach Sampson after that, in advance of the Sweet 16, you know, he was just saying how everyone looks to you, whether it's Marcus Sasser, Quentin Grimes, Fabian, you name it how you are sort of in the center of that spider web of touching each one in some form or fashion. How much responsibility do you feel to just being on the court to affect the game like that? You don't want to run away from this position. Um, you know, when you're the leader on the team, you know, a lot of guys dream of being that. And, you know, it just kind of came to me. I'm the oldest on the team. And, you know, man, Conception had a sit down before the season telling me how, you know, I would have to lead this team. You know, everyone looks up to me and, you know, I, I enjoy that. I, I don't run away from it. You know, we're very close. We talk every day. So, you know, just trying to lead them in the right way and just to show them, you know, how to come to practice every day, which is, you know, it's my third year here. You know, just to have that same vibe every day, just to come work hard and want to be here instead of, you know, looking at it like, you know, we have practice or we have to do this or that. Just knowing that it, it'll pay off one day. And, you know, I'm grateful to be in this position, um, being able to lead those guys. It's just a joy for me to, to be there. Last two things. First is defensively. That's what essentially won you the last two games against Syracuse 
And then Oregon State, you know, when they came all the way storming all the way back to tie this thing after double-digit deficit, it was your guys' defense yet again that held them off their last couple offensive possessions. They couldn't get anything going. What is it about this defense that comes up large in so many opportunities, and we saw it in the last couple of games? Houston culture, you know, that's what Coach Sampson preached. Offensive rebounding and defense, you know, that's what wins games, even if we shoot poorly, you know, as we have. But, you know, just the, being able to win games in different ways, not just having to score the ball. You know, he preached that from October when practice starts um, officially, you know. You know, in practice, if you don't play defense, you're on the line running. You know, you don't want to be on that line running, so you're going to, you know, you're going to buy into what he's saying, into the culture. And he's won everywhere he's been, and, you know, his recipe has been defense. So, you know, just falling in love with, you know, his plan and buying into the culture. And lastly, Dejan, I heard you on one of your post-game interviews. You got the net around your neck, but you're playing for more than just you and this Houston team. What else are you playing for? Or who else, I should say? Playing for my grandmother, Erlene Nelson. She left me two years ago, and that kind of hurt me, and she loved to watch my game. So I always said I'll, you know, stay and play for her. Also, my cousin Theodore Jones, which is known as YG, and my one of my good friends I, I grew up with, someone who I hang with on a daily from New Orleans, Louisiana, his name Tristan Eggerson, going through something right now, which is devastating. He's brain dead right now. He went through a brain aneurysm, and he loves watching us play. So I had a FaceTime with him um, about two days ago. Of course, he wasn't able to talk back, but I know he was listening to me, and I, you know, I told him that I'll try to do this for him, man. It's just bigger than basketball. So I love those people, and you know, I'll try to do it for them. Well, I'll tell you, you are paying it forward, and we send our thoughts, and obviously uh... – you know, we hope that he did hear you and that, yeah. you know, in some miraculous way, maybe, you know, he can pull through. Yeah, that's why, I'm, you know, that's why I'm keeping faith because miracles do happen. You know, God is real. So, you know, I'm keeping my faith. Well, you keep the faith. You keep doing what you're doing. We appreciate you. Congratulations on getting to the Final Four. Appreciate you. All right, now it's time for March Chadness. We look at some of the predictions from last week, although... I don't know if I should. And we look ahead to this week. Chad, just in my defense, if you could please, for those listeners that maybe have not been tracking the entire time, could you please at least help them out that I actually had a good regular season? Is that fair? No, Andy, you were on fire. I would say maybe once every other month you had a sub-500 week. You were on fire for most of the regular season. So your bracket predictions as we hit the tournament, you know, hard to fault you there. Everybody screwed up. To be completely honest, only 396 people out of millions on our NCAA.com bracket challenge game, correctly predicted the Final Four. So, you know, forget all the upsets, forget Oral Roberts, forget all the upsets. Just picking the Final Four, only 396 people got it right. Well, and I would say this, the Midwest bracket, I mean, Illinois has to absolutely be losing sleep because there's no question they were the best team in the Midwest bracket. I know there were one seed that may sound obvious to people, but they were clearly, I think, the best team in that bracket. And they just absolutely played a stinker against Loyola Chicago. And then as you watch the Elite Eight, I mean, and you and I were texting back and forth. I was like, they easily could beat both these teams. And yet they blew it. So I really believed that had they had the kind of game that they played in the Big Ten tournament, they'd be in the Final Four. But they blew it. You know, and I tried to take a flyer in the East with Texas. I got a little romance by their Big 12 tournament run. I wasn't buying into Michigan at the time. Maybe I should have. There were 396 people that saw UCLA get into the Final Four. I want to know if they're alums, live in Westwood, or are part of the extended Mick Cronin family. You're probably right on that. But uh, Andy, on the bright side, your new bracket, the Sweet 16 bracket we predicted last week, you did have uh, at least Gonzaga Baylor making it, which feels like a layup. Hey, you got that right. 
So we'll we'll take that. But Andy, let's let's look ahead to these first matchups and the first. Yeah, you don't want to say that I had Loyola. Yeah, <laughs> no, no Loyola or Syracuse. You kind of got both. I of love that. Sister Jean. Who She's doesn't? been great to us here at March Madness. You know, I had her blessing. I thought they would win. Yeah, and they beat Illinois. We thought. You know, they were hot. They were in Ken Palm's top 10. <laughs> Everybody was riding high on Cameron Crutwig, and then they <laughs> had a stinker against Oregon State. So that was fun. But Andy, the first game of the day on Saturday is Baylor against Houston at 5.14 p.m. Eastern. And this is, you know, an old Southwest Conference matchup. Could we call it the conference championship here? Possibly. So I will tell you this. First of all, they're going to have to really ugly up this game for them to win, which is kind of what they did to this point. They're going to really have to body check them make it really physical and a defensive game. Uh, I don't know about you, Chad. I think that might be their only chance is to really, because I don't think they can score well enough with Baylor. No, they like to attack the glass, you know, make it a rock fight, just kind of wear you down. And yeah, that's what they've done. And, And it'll be interesting how they compete against an actual top team. And it's not their fault, but they are the first team that has played, you know, four straight double digit seeds to get to the final four. And for that reason, we have a lot of people on social media calling it a a Mickey Mouse run. (laughs) But uh, this will be their first real test from a top team perspective. Baylor is certainly one of the best in the country. So that'll be interesting to watch. Andy, I mean, are you giving them a shot here? And we kind of talked about what it would take. It would have to be that type of rock fight game. Is that the game you're expecting? Yeah, I am. I actually kind of think it could be comparable to the Villanova-Baylor game. I won't be shocked if Houston has a lead, you know, at some point in this game. But, you know, look, Dejan Giroux is going to have to have an epic game, and so will Quentin Grimes. A player like Fabian White's going to have to really play well against someone like Mark Vital on the backboard. I really think they're going to have to shrink the court, just really attack when they can, run out when they can. But, you know, I hate to say they don't have a chance because look what they've done. No one in this tournament has been a gimme except for Gonzaga, essentially. And who had Oral Roberts getting, you know, as far as they did to the Sweet 16? So I'm going to pick Baylor, but I think Houston can make it ugly, make it interesting. But ultimately, I think the Baylor Bears will win and advance to the national championship game. Yeah, and if they do make it ugly, it'll be thanks to their nation-leading opponent's field goal percentage defense. So pretty strong there. The one thing I am going to be looking for, it feels like Davion Mitchell and Maceo Teague have kind of led the charge for Baylor in the tournament. I hope Jared Butler steps up in the final four. I'd like to see him kind of, you know, restake his claim as that first team All-American type of player. All right. So you've got Baylor moving on. The nightcap in that game is Gonzaga and UCLA. So that should tip off right around 834 p.m. Eastern. These two teams actually have a little bit of March Madness history, Andy. Uh, They met in 2015 when Gonzaga won by 12 as a two seed in the Sweet 16. That was against another 11 seeded UCLA team. Sabonis was coming off the bench for that Gonzaga team. But I think the matchup everybody will be talking about more historically is the Adam Morrison year back in 2006. So people are already hitting it up on social media. Everybody's already reminiscing on that fun matchup. And that was actually, if you remember, that was the start of UCLA's run, if I'm not mistaken, of three straight Final Four appearances. Three straight, yep. Was it uh, Batista? Brought the ball down and got stripped. He kept it high up. Maybe they win. You know, maybe more Adam Morrison gets Gonzaga to their first Final Four at that point. That was a Sweet 16 game in Oakland. Crazy game. Great call by Gus Johnson at the time. And uh, yeah, that game was memorable. Uh, Obviously, everyone's gone from there, but uh, Adam Morrison doing radio. So I think he'll certainly enjoy seeing a little um, revenge in that one. Look, UCLA 
play, you know, they had to pull out all stops to beat Michigan. Michigan had so many opportunities to win that game. Layups, open looks, didn't convert. There's just no way UCLA can beat Gonzaga if Johnny Juzang is essentially the only one scoring at a decent clip. I mean, Tiger Campbell ended up with 11 in this game against Michigan. But, I mean, Cody Riley's going to have his hands full. Jaime Jaquez, you know, he had four against Michigan. He's going to have to score like he did against Michigan State against Gonzaga. This would be... I'm not going to say this is Villanova Georgetown, but the way Gonzaga is playing right now, this would be an epic upset, in my opinion, if UCLA were to take them down. In large part because I just don't see UCLA being able to score well enough. You know, obviously they scored against Alabama because Alabama obviously kept it going up and down, and Gonzaga will too, but I just can't see UCLA being able to score well enough against Gonzaga. I think this could be a double-digit win, setting up the game that we all thought we were going to get in December, but it was canceled because of a positive within Gonzaga, and now we're going to get here in the Final Four in Indy. That's what I hope. That's what I think. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's no fault of UCLA. They're only the fifth 11 seed to make the Final Four. And that trio you mentioned of Jaime Jaquez and Tiger Campbell and Johnny Juzang, I mean, they're all sophomores. Uh, they'll have to step up on the big stage. If they don't, we'll end up with a Gonzaga-Baylor final. The, a lot of people are comparing this Gonzaga team, you know, how would they fare against the 2018 Villanova team that just kind of ran through the tournament as well. But Andy, I mean, are you riding with Gonzaga? You had him in your original bracket you had him well your sweet 16 bracket i should say look i gotta get something right chad i had gonzaga at the beginning of the season i never moved them off the one line i think they're the best team and we have seen it in the ncaa tournament uh, i made this point on the air on tuesday night i don't think enough credit goes to mark few scheduling habits if you will because their entire non-conference was wiped out and they had to recreate it. And he made a promise to Jalen Suggs, really, and to Corey Kispert and those guys that, look, I want to get you games. And Chad, you and I have talked so much about this. That was a time back in late October, early November, into November, where most leagues weren't going to play non-conference games, or if they were, they weren't going to travel very far. He was able to pull out of the hat the Florida trip playing Kansas and Auburn, the Texas trip to play Virginia. Um, I got these a little out of order. The South Dakota trip to play Iowa, the West Virginia game in Indianapolis that he could have played Baylor as well on that trip, but it ended up being just one game. So that set the stage for giving them quality games at the beginning of the season and impressed everyone, put Jalen Suggs on the national stage right off the bat. And I think that is what's catapulted this team forward. Their passing has been so good in the NCAA tournament. Really remarkable. And the way they share the basketball just overall. You know, I don't know how you can't watch them and not be envious of just the way they run their system. And the defensively, they've been much maligned as a program and they played so well defensively in this tournament. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the passing because Jalen Suggs definitely looks like a quarterback out there. And then even Drew Timmy, he dropped a dime in that Elite Eight game and then picked the dime up off the floor and put it back in his pocket as a good celebration that he likes to do. So that's <laughs> fun. Yeah, I mean, they're an unreal team. <laughs> it feels like a dream team for them. Even after losing some starters last year, they're just absolutely reloaded, giving these starters the minutes they deserved. And uh, they're just kind of running through everybody. Well, I'll tell you, Chad, you know, they pick up a commitment from Hunter Salas, supposed to be one of the best guards in the country. I won't be shocked if they get Chet Holmgren, who who is supposed to be the best big in the country. They may get Walker Kessler, the North Carolina big transfer. You know, we know they're going to lose uh, Kispert and Suggs. You know, does Timmy come back? Maybe. But Gonzaga's not going anywhere. I think they're going to win it. And <laughs> I think they're going to be here to stay for quite some time. That's right. We'll see if these predictions match up and we'll see what kind of national championship matchup we do get before we get too far ahead of ourselves.
Yeah, that's true. So I don't want to go too far. We'll see what happens here in the national semis on Saturday. Chad, uh, Yeoman's work as always. Uh, our entire teams combined at Bleacher Report, March Madness, NCAA.com. We appreciate you all. This has been quite a run in Atlanta the last three weeks. I am heading to Indianapolis for the Final Four. It's going to be pretty unique, obviously, because of COVID. But we got to this point. We're down to four. Uh, only one game got postponed or canceled, I should say, which is, um, you know, that's an exhale for the entire staffs that have been putting this on. The fact that the men and the women have gotten to the Final Four is an accomplishment for both organizations that, that ran both tournaments, this one in Indianapolis and that one down in San Antonio. So for everyone on our entire team, I thank you. Uh, stay safe. And we're going to just talk here very shortly as we move forward closer to the national semifinals. <laughs>